Thanks for listening to the New Stanton Church podcast. Check out our website at newstantonchurch.com where you can find out how to join our live stream at 901 on Sunday mornings. Now let's prepare our hearts for the word that we're about to receive. So um, this morning is week three of this journey through the book of Jonah that we've been taking. And uh, last week, I want you to remember that we talked about those three steps that we can take that can help us overcome that habitual sin in our lives. And I, I said we need to name it, we need to take corrective action, and we need to tap into God's power to, to help us to overcome those things. And we ended just as the sailors had thrown Jonah into the, into the sea. And so today I want to pick up in chapter 1, starting in verse 15, and read all the way through to the end of chapter uh, 2. And, and as I'm reading, I want you to think about uh, these look for in the passage these three things that I want to talk about today. And one is that Jonah's repentance is is ongoing. It's not a one-time thing. It's a a continual thing. Uh, Second is that true faith is relational, not transactional. And I'll talk a little bit about that. And then that Jonah was pursued by God out of love, not persecution. So I want to talk about those three things today. So if you want to follow along, um, in in chapter 1, verse 15... We'll start out. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went up to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with song of praise and I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah upon the beach. Father, thank you for this opportunity to share this message once again, Lord, and I pray uh, that you would speak to us, Lord, speak to our heads and our hearts, and Lord, help us to get that from our heart and our heads out into our fingertips, that we would be showing people Jesus. Bless this day. May may my words be true and of you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God is so, so good to us. Amen. Amen. I love that imagery in Jonah. I I love the picture that it sort of paints. Um, Remember that uh, Jonah is telling us this after the fact. Like this isn't, he, he, this is sometime down the road. So it's not really a moment by moment account. It's Jonah remembering what had, had happened. 
And I just love the way it looks. I started in verse 15 because I wanted you to see the comparison between what the guys on the ship were going through and what Jonah was going through. There's, there's some unique um, uh, interaction that I wanted to show you. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great powers, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to, to serve him. And the sea suddenly became calm, and the sailors were no longer uh, at risk of losing their lives, right? These men who had worshipped these strange and various gods were so amazed by God's great power that they started worshipping him. And to me, the irony in that is that Jonah didn't have any idea that what he did was actually going to cause these guys to turn to him, that the, these men that he had put in danger would actually become maybe, maybe some of his first converts. And they didn't come to faith because Jonah told them that he was running from the Lord, but they came to offer sacrifices and make vows because they saw his great, great power. God was revealing himself to them in that moment. And if we compare that to Jonah's situation, you know, Jonah's uh, circumstances actually got a whole lot worse. Theirs got better. His got worse because now he's sinking down into the ocean. It, I mean, at least on the ship there would be some hope, right? But when the sailors threw him overboard... Well, I can only imagine that Jonah knew that the end was, was pretty near. In fact, it says as much in verse 2 when he said, I called out to you from the land of the dead. Most of us, especially those of us who have like, been to Myrtle Beach or, or Hilton Head or, or Florida, we, we sort of view the, the ocean or the seaside as a place for rest and Recreation. It's a place to go have fun. But for most in the ancient world, especially uh, in, those, in those years uh, before Christ, the water represented chaos. It was, the, the sea was something that was to be feared. And remember, it's only been like in the last 200 years or so that they've started doing any serious underwater exploration. And we, and we get an idea of what's under there. And we still don't know what's down there to this day, even with all that's been going on. They're finding new stuff all the time. But prior to, prior to that, the, the ocean was shrouded in this superstition and mystery and, and rumors about, about how, what was actually hidden under the waves. In fact, the scholars, the Bible scholars, actually use Jonah, this part of Jonah, as proof that the Bible is accurate and true in what it intends to say and what it intends to teach, because uh, this imagery would not be something that someone in Jonah's day would have understood that the ocean looked like underneath the surface. Uh, they thought it was just sort of bland and there was nothing, nothing down there. And Jonah tells there's, there's mountains and there's vines and and seaweed and all that, all that kind of stuff. So, from his description, we can believe that Jonah was actually drowning and sinking to the bottom of the, of the sea. He says, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and a current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. Waters encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me and wrapped itself around my head. See, Jonah can feel himself, can't he? He can feel himself being pulled down by the current and the waves are crashing over his head. I remember when I was young, like in my early 20s, 
Uh, actually, at 18, I moved to California. My mom had moved out there before a year before. I moved to California. I actually went on a vacation and ended up staying because um, I got a one-way ticket, and I stayed for a while. But uh, my cousin was a surfer, and I was staying with him, so he took me surfing. And um, we thought we were pretty good at it. And so um, there was an earthquake in Japan, and an earthquake in Japan meant, meant really big waves in California. And so we had 11 to 14-foot waves at Seal Beach in California. And Seal Beach is called Seal Beach because there's a whole bunch of black rocks up on the beach that look like seals. It's not because there are seals there. And so we decided to go surfing there, not knowing anything, what, what we were doing. And uh, when you're surfing, you have this little board you stand on, and there's a long string, and that little string attaches to your ankle. So when you fall off, you don't have to chase your surfboard. It's like right at the end of your leg, right? Well, we didn't know. We'd never been in those bigger waves before. And so we got out there, and I'm coming in, and I'm thinking I'm pretty good on this little surfboard hot dog, and I fell off. And I'm telling you, I fell, it felt like, I don't know how far it was, but all I know is I was on top of the wave, and I could see ground way, way, way down there. And I fell, and I hit the ground, and then the wave landed on top of me. And because my ankle was strapped to that little surfboard... <laughs> It drugged me, and I imagine if that's anything like what Jonah felt like, it was a scary moment because I honestly didn't know if I was going to come back up from the surface of that, of that ocean. I mean, it was just, it just knocked the air out of me, and it just crushes you. So that was my um, near-life experience or near-death experience, if you will. And so that's the situation that Jonah is in here. He's going down and he's drowning, but he sort of has this clear grasp on the situation. And I remember when my surfboard was dragging me, I was thinking, how am I going to untach this surfboard from my ankle? So I don't know if that was rational or not, but I knew that I had to get that thing off of there. So I can't help but think that Jonah... Uh, perhaps he's is starting to see things clearly maybe for the first time in a long while and he's realizing just how far off track he has gotten and in the midst of his despair Jonah uh, finds a glimmer of hope which brings me to point number one that Jonah continues to repent uh, and his repentance is ongoing in verse 2 he said I called out to the Lord in my great trouble you answered me I called you from the land of the dead and you heard me. Verse 3, you threw me into the sea. And I said, oh, Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more. And so Jonah is, is wrestling with this repentance. He's trying to figure out where he stands in all of this. I don't think he's like 100% there yet. In fact, we'll find as we get closer to the end of Jonah that he doesn't really truly get 100% there. But none of us ever do. We're, the, repentance, remember, is not a one-time act. It's a continual act of repentance, at least for me. Jonah seems to be wrestling almost if, is, if, as if he is asking where his responsibility ended and God's begins. Like, I was thinking down, you threw me into the sea, but I'm going to look to you. But he finally seems to get it. By the time we get to verse 7, he says, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went up to you, to your holy temple. See, I think it took all that wrestling for Jonah, uh, before Jonah was able to get to the earnest, sincere, you know, genuine, heartfelt prayer that was true repentance. 
Like all this time, he'd just been, been kind of saying it, but I'm not sure he was 100% there. One, one theologian I read, he said that, uh, but in this state of despair, Jonah even gathered courage and was able to retake himself directly to God. It was a wonderful and almost incredible example of faith. So Jonah is wrestling with his, his faith, but he finally seems like he's getting there. In other words, Jonah had to struggle to get to the point where true repentance could take place. You see, repentance isn't one time. Again, it's ongoing. And we have to get to that place where we sort of peel back all the layers of the onion and there's no more excuses and get to that, to that honest truth of the matter that, you know, that as Jonah did, we, we sinned. My second point is true faith is reactional, not Trans, or I'm sorry, uh, relational, not transactional. For many people, if not most, when they get into a situation when they're in trouble and we cry, you know, Lord, why is this happening to me? What, what, what's going on here? I don't understand. Why, why are you doing this? And many people even blame God for not protecting them for the trouble they're in. But the, despite the fact that the situation that they're in was a result of the poor choices that we oftentimes make, Amen. But that's human nature. We take credit when things go well, and we blame someone else when things go wrong. That's just human nature. And all too often, that someone else that we blame is God. Why did you do that, God? What are you doing wrong? If we, if we look out uh, at the situation surrounding uh, Jonah, we can easily be tempted to simplify uh, this whole event as if you know, Jonah disobeyed, and as a result, God is punishing him. And I know many people live their lives by that model, but I'm going to tell you that I do not believe that that is an accurate description of what God does at all. That's not the way God works. He's bigger than that. Amen? I had a friend who, he was a peer, a pastor, friend, and um, uh, he was a pastor of one of the larger churches in town, and he went through some really difficult times. His elderly father passed away unexpectedly, uh, his daughter ended up getting a divorce not long after that, and she moved back home with uh, two or three kids, I can't remember. And then uh, his mother got ill, and she needed some special care, and, and he took a sabbatical from his church, uh, in his words, to search out what he had done wrong that was causing him to have all these problems. Now, those are his words, my, not mine. Um, and in that paradigm, the moral of the story becomes, uh, is, becomes obey God or get punished. You see, we're tempted to turn in, in, in our relationship into, um, I'm sorry, we're tempted to turn our relationship with God into a math equation. It becomes transactional, where we, if we do enough good things and follow enough of the rules, we can get the blessings we want. It becomes, it becomes a barter system. We'd like to think that if we do all the right things, follow all the rules, give obedient service, that, that should, should earn us some credit, amen? In other words, we want it to be transactional, a relationship where we swap items for mutual benefit. I'll give you this if you give me that, Lord, and we're all just as happy as can be. 
I'll give you good behavior. I'll, you know, I'll go, to, uh, I'll go to church on most Sundays unless the Steelers are playing or, you know, my favorite football team is on or something. And, um, and I'll be a good little boy and a, or a good little girl. And in return, God, you, you know, you can give me like, um, hey, how about getting my kids into a good school? Like, I would like them to be in a university. Can they get some great scholarships to help pay the way, Lord? because this is getting a little expensive up here. Or uh, maybe I can have a good career, or I can get that new car I've been wanting. Lord, all I got to do is just be good enough. And how about it, God, if you just throw in that eternal life thing um, as part of the package? How many of you know people who think of that, think in that transactional way? I will if you will. See, that's just, that's just swapping benefits. I'll worship you. You give me sunshine, puppy dogs, and posies or something, you know. But that's not true faith, is it? That's a transactional faith. Transactional religion causes us to look inward rather than upward. And it often drives us into despair or despondence because, well, the truth is we can never uh, get everything just right. And so we just go deeper and deeper in despair. But God doesn't want to make a transaction with you. God is, isn't playing, let's make a deal. God wants a relationship with you. And God is willing to pursue you to make that happen. In the New uh, Living Translation, the one that we have here, uh, in verse 6, it says, I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates lock shut forever. But you, oh my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. Now I have to think that the translators of that version were having a lot of fun with that. Because I'm thinking of this great big old fish that's swimming towards Jonah, right? And then I immediately, when it says, snatch me from the jaws of death, I'm thinking jaws. I'm thinking of that big old shark coming along. And I think this translator was just having a lot of fun with that play on, on words. But... Like, when did Jonah um, uh, realize that that big old fish was actually there to save him? Like, who in this room would have said, sinking down, said, oh, good, there's a fish that's going to come get me and take me home, right? It's like, better to take a fish than have to walk all that way. I mean, that just doesn't make, no one would think that, right? We would just think, can it get any worse? And here comes this big old fish going to swallow you. And this fish comes up and it eats him. Like, that's a bad day. Like, a really, really bad day, right? I mean, talk about out of the frying pan and into the fire. No doubt that, you know, poor old Jonah did not know that that fish was there to save him. It makes you wonder, at what point did it become clear to Jonah that the fish was his salvation and not his demise? Anyone, any bells going off in your, in your, in your head making you think, think that way? And yet it was God calling Jonah in the midst of the sea that drew his attention, and it was God who sent that great fish to save him. That's a strange and unusual salvation at the least, isn't it? What a strange, what a strange thing it was. It, and it's often, you know, only when we get onto the safe side of things that we realize that God was bringing, bringing us to something totally, totally wonderful and, 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 and amazing. I always say that God drags me kicking and screaming right where I really wanted to go. 
I fight them all the way, and I get there, and it's like, hey, God, this is pretty cool. Thank you for bringing me here. Uh, Matthew Henry said, though we bring our afflictions upon ourselves by our sins, yet if we pray in humility and godly sincerity, we shall be welcomed to the throne of grace, as Jonah was. See, Jonah was pursued by God out of love, not punishment. Every Christian I've ever met at one point or another has lost their way along the path of righteousness. I don't know anyone who has accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior and never sinned again. Anyone else? No, you don't know anyone. No one in this room has stayed, like not even the best of the best, or the best of the best. I mean, even the, even the Apostle Paul said, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of death? Some translations say body of sin. Some have turned their back uh, uh, on, on faith and they go back to their former lives and they, only, they just fall further and further than they originally were. Others find new diversions and things that distract them. But God continuously pursues us and calls us back. In verse 6, uh, the, the, most of the translations read it this way. I descended to the base of the mountains, the earth with its bars around me forever. Um, but you, Lord, have brought my life up from out of the pit rather than snatch me from the jaws. You've brought my life up out of the pit. See, up to this point in this, in this narrative, every time Jonah acted, he's been described as going down. In fact, in, in the beginning of the book, it says that he went from Joppa or from Jerusalem down to Joppa and he went down into the hold of the ship and he was thrown down into the sea and he sank down into the bottom of the or into the heart of the sea and Jonah is just going down 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 and down and when we flee from God that's exactly what happens to us isn't it we just go down deeper and deeper and deeper into that despair and the only way that we can we can go up the only way that we can go up is when we turn back to God and he lifts us back up out of that pit. Amen? That'd be a good spot for an amen. See, most people at some point question their faith. They, they stop and wonder, is it, is it really, is, you know, like is really all of this true? I don't know if you've had those moments. I just had a conversation with, with someone yesterday and she was, this lady was telling me that, oh, I have this friend and he's, you know, he's struggling with his faith right now and he's asking questions. And, and what I told her is this, and I tell everyone this, is I don't, I don't get concerned when people are looking for the truth. Because if you're looking for the truth, who are you going to find? Jesus, that's right. Because what does he say? I am the way and the truth and the life. So if someone is truly looking for the truth, guess who they're going to find? Jesus. And so don't get overly concerned if someone is, is struggling with their faith. I, and I told her, I said, don't be a counselor, be a friend, because that's what he needed right then, is not a counselor. He needs a friend. He needs someone to walk through faith with him. We all struggle with those, with those questions. And it's okay, because God is bigger than our doubt. God is so much bigger than the doubts that you have. God isn't saying, oh, they're doubting. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with that one. And God is stronger than your fear. We all, we all have fear now and then, but God is so much stronger than our fears, amen? 
And God is so much wiser than your uncertainty. None of us knows with 100% certainty that we're going to heaven. We believe that there is a God. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe that we will be in heaven with him. And we can say, yes, I'm going there. But every human being I've ever met, there is that one little piece of doubt. But God is bigger than all of that, you see. God is so much bigger than those things. The only way up out of that pit is for God to lift you up. Isn't that an amazing picture of God's love? As believers, I want to encourage you to think of the things of God in that way, that God lifts us up. He pulls us out and raises us up. And all the other things in the life that we deal with and we go through, those are the things that drive us down. They pull us down. And so Jonah, as you can see, uh, the message is that our God is a God of second chances. Jonah is going down, 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 and God is pulling him up, up, up. And even when Jonah thinks that things are getting as bad as they could possibly be, because this great big huge fish, big enough to swallow a guy, is coming right at him. And I see that big fish mouth opening up and Jonah going, oh no. And it takes him and the next thing Jonah wakes up and he says, oh my God. I'm inside a fish and I am still alive. Oh my God. What a great God you are. And he turns to God. Can you imagine? See, our God is a God of second chances and we should never grow tired of that picture of God rescuing us from the pit of death. I'm going to end with this thought. The Jonah ends with this prayer in verse 9. He says, I will, or he ends his prayer in verse 9. He says, I will offer sacrifices with song and praise, and I will fulfill my vows to you, for my salvation comes from the Lord. And isn't it interesting that in verse 16, the sailors were awestruck with the Lord's power, and they offered him sacrifices and vowed to serve him. And in the end of his prayer, Jonah comes to the same place that those men were. They're up here safe, Jonah's in the fish safe, and they both came to the same thing. I'm going to offer you sacrifices and vow to praise you, to serve you. It's an amazing picture. As someone wrote that Jonah 2 is clearly not a story about God punishing Jonah with a fish. It's a story of a God who shows Jonah steadfast love by pursuing him even in his rebellion. So what is God saying to you today? Are you running? Are you trying to have a transactional relationship with him? Are you, are you recognizing that awesome power that God is pursuing you with his love? In Acts chapter 4, Christ had ascended into heaven. Peter and John were preaching about Jesus in the temple. And Peter stood before the people and the religious leaders of his day, and he said, let this be known to all of you and to all the people. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who, crucified, who you crucified, by whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. This Jesus is the stone you builders rejected and has become the cornerstone. For there is salvation in no, own, no one else, for God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Father, thank you for that name, the sweet, sweet name of Jesus. The Lord, no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter 
uh, what's happening, Lord, no matter the circumstances, that Jesus, that sweet, sweet name of Jesus, that we stand here today saved, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything that he has done for us. And Lord, we are grateful, so, so grateful. Lord, as we go out today, let us carry that gratefulness with us into a a world and into the community, Lord, that so many people don't know you. Help us, Lord, to give them the hope that we have, that in Jesus' name, there is true salvation. And it's in his name that we pray this morning. Amen. Thanks for listening to the New Stanton Church podcast. We'd love to connect with you. So visit our website at newstantonchurch.com, follow the Get Involved tab, and RSVP to our next meet and greet.